So what name do you go by? What name do people know you by? Do you go by your first name? Do you go by your middle name? Do you go by a nickname? Are you a second and you go by JR? Are you a third and you go by Trey? Are you a fourth and you go by Fritz? I don't think that's a thing. I think I made that up, but it just kind of sounded fun. Now, what, do you, what do you go by? People know you by a name. It's how they call you. It's how they recognize you. It's how they mention you. These songs that you've just heard, the songs that the choir is sharing with us, they're all an answer to one question. Everything we've just heard sung is an answer to one question, and that question is this. Who is this child? Who, who is this one small child? 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah declared a name that was going to be on his birth certificate. He's known by a lot of names, but, but this name is one that he is called by. It's one that he's recognized by. It's one that he is mentioned by. It's a very strategic name. And what is that name, and what does it have to do with you? Well, this one name for this one small child has a huge impact on your life right now. Listen to what Isaiah said, Isaiah 9, verse 6. For a child will be born to us, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. We might say that someone is wonderful at something. We might say that she's a wonderful cook, or, or he's a wonderful handyman, or she's a wonderful organizer, or he is a wonderful beard grower. You know, it might, be a, it might be something that we know that somebody's wonderful at. But all of those things, those are things that they are mentioning that we do. Those things don't make us wonderful. In fact, we could probably ask our, our spouses and our kids and our grandkids and, you know, maybe some people at work, some people at school, you know, maybe some people that we were stuck in traffic with this week. And they might tell us some non-wonderful things about us, right? Because you know, we're not perfect, so we don't always do everything right. Here's the thing, though. That never happens with Jesus. Jesus is marvelous. Jesus is extraordinary. And Jesus is wonderful. And Jesus was wonderful before the manger. And Jesus was especially wonderful in the manger. Why was he so wonderful when he was born. Well, just look at the people that were around his birth. Some no-name shepherds, they found out about Jesus and went to see him. What happened? Luke 2, verse 17. When the shepherds had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. So these shepherds, these smelly shepherds, they heard this message that a Savior had been born, and they ran to see and when they saw Jesus, they became human megaphones for the gospel. They went out telling everybody about Jesus. And what did the people who listened to them give this announcement? What did they do? Luke 2, verse 18. And all who heard it, they wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Who are these smelly, giddy guys? What are they doing? Why are they so excited? They wondered about this announcement 
but they wondered with wonder. They were marveled at what the shepherds said. And then the shepherds, after all this had happened, they went back out to their fields. And so what happened when they got back out to their fields? Luke 2, verse 20. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. So the excitement of the event is over, so to speak. They're back on the job. They're back at school. They're back in the real world and their real life. And what are they doing? They're still giddy. They haven't gotten over it. They're still amazed at what they saw. They saw Jesus. They saw the Savior. But it wasn't just the shepherds. There were some deeply religious wise men. They lived about 800 miles away from Bethlehem, but they made their way 800 miles to Bethlehem. And what happened when they saw Jesus? Matthew 2, verses 10 and 11. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Some deeply religious men from a long way away followed a star, made a dangerous journey to see a a fairly unknown, non-famous child born to a carpenter and his wife. None of that makes sense on the surface. So why? Why would they take this dangerous journey? John Piper says this, Matthew shows God influencing the stars in the sky to get foreign magi to Bethlehem so that they can worship him. This is God's design. He did it then. He is still doing it now. See, this isn't just an ancient holiday story that we whip out for a few weeks in December. This is strategic hope for your life right now. You see, the star, the star is still shining, so to speak. You see, God in His mercy and His love and His compassion and His authority and His sovereignty, He is still drawing men and women and boys and girls to find peace and salvation in Jesus. Has He drawn you? Is He drawing you right now? If so, then give in to His grace. Repent and yield to the mercy and the compassion of God as He chases you with this glorious gospel. The wise men, they repented and yielded to the drawing of God. And what happened to them? They had exceedingly great joy. Now, I'm confident None of you want exceeding great joy, right? You want misery. You want everything to be bad and awful, right? Now, coming to Jesus, there is this joy, joy that you cannot explain, joy that is hard to figure out. Listen, you may have been the cutest baby in the world, but this did not happen next to your crib, okay? Strange people that your parents did not know did not come in from fields and from 800 miles away to stand over your crib and worship you. And nobody is setting aside time this month to worship you and sing songs about you now. But that's how it's always been with Jesus. See, Jesus has always been worshipped. And why did it happen then 
And why is it happening now? Well, because he's wonderful. It's, it's his name. He's, he's wonderful. And he's not just wonderful. He's to be called Wonderful Counselor. Jesus lived on the earth 33 years. The last three, he gave almost every bit of advice and counsel you need for life. We find that advice in the, in the Bible, in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But if you don't find the advice you need in those four books, then read the rest of the Bible. You see, the Old Testament is this fantastic movie trailer about Jesus. And the New Testament, it's like we're live streaming in an IMAX theater the actual movie about Jesus. It is this glorious message from the Old and New Testament, and all of it points to Jesus. All of it points to this one small child. Why? Listen to what Paul said to the Colossian church. For by him, by Jesus, by this one small child, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. That's big. Verse 17. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Everything holds together in Jesus. That, that sounds amazing. That sounds like great news. But what does it mean in real life? What does it mean in real time tomorrow afternoon or Thursday morning? F.F. Bruce said this, For those who have been redeemed by Christ, the universe has no ultimate terrors. Chew on that for a sec. For those who have been redeemed by Christ, the universe has zero ultimate terrors. Because those who have been redeemed, they know their Redeemer is also creator, ruler, and goal of all. What are you afraid of right now? What are you mad about right now? What are you confused about right now? What are you stressed out about? What are you frustrated about right now? What are you worried about right now? Take it. You got, you got it, whatever it is. That moment, that person, that situation, you got it in your mind. All right, take that thing and, and put it into this verse. Paul's words to Timothy. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Listen, this is what a Christian is doing every day, all day. A Christian is simply saying, I believe in Jesus, and I'm convinced that Jesus has all the answers. And he might give me those answers right now. Or he might give me those answers when I get to heaven. Or he may never give me those answers. But I know I can trust him, and I know his advice is pure and perfect. How do we know that Jesus can be trusted? How do we know that his advice is pure and perfect? Listen again to what Paul said. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things hold together. I would dare say some of us have had a week this week where it seems like 
nothing is being held together, that everything is falling apart. But Jesus, by his nature, he, he pulls us together. You know what I was doing as I was driving to church this morning? I was fighting through that verse. Because my life is chaos right now. And so I'm driving to church this morning, and I'm saying, I know whom I have believed in. And I'm saying it over and over and over in my mind. And when I hear the choir say, in the first light, it's taking me back to this first moment where this small child is still who I believe in. And when everything is falling apart, when everything is chaos, he is not falling apart. He is not chaos. Friend, he holds all things together. That's why we trust him. That's why we turn to him. Every king, every queen, every president, every leader throughout history, they've, they've gathered counselors together to give them wisdom and advice. Jesus never pulled the disciples together and said, guys, oh, I'm lost on this one, man. God, I'm just not sure what to do. Come on, I need y'all to give me some feedback on stuff. He never had that moment. See, Jesus, he, he didn't just have good advice. Jesus didn't just have a, a Ph.D. in clinical psychology from Harvard. He wasn't just the CEO of some think tank in D.C., now, Jesus didn't just have wisdom. He doesn't just have wisdom. Jesus is wisdom. It's, it's who he is. See, Jesus is the power of God, and Jesus is the wisdom of God because Jesus is God. Jeremiah 32, verse 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Isn't that the counselor you want? Don't you want the guy who knows everything and can do anything? Listen, you will not find that counselor at the counseling office in town. You will not find that counselor on staff at a church. But 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah said, that wonderful counselor, you can find him in a stable in Bethlehem. So do you know that wonderful counselor? Have you heard his perfect counsel about your sin? Have you heard his perfect counsel about the salvation that he offers? The story of Christmas, it didn't start in the manger, and it didn't stop in the manger. The story of Christmas, it started before the foundations of the world. And it's still changing lives today. You see, from the manger to the cross to the empty tomb, the, the very nature of the gospel continues to do this amazing thing, this one thing. It keeps giving commanding answers to that question. Who is this child? Who is this one small child? He's a wonderful counselor, at the very least, and so much more. But what does it have to do with you right now in this moment? 
Bruschett says this, when Christ came into the world as a baby in Bethlehem, it was not some historical event that is irrelevant to you and me. What we're hearing sung today, it's not irrelevant. It's amazing. He goes on to say this, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the wonderful counselor was born. He is the one we have been looking for all our lives. He's it. He's what you're looking. Even if you don't know it, he is what you're looking for. So look no more. Turn to this one small child. Turn to Jesus. He is, he is your hope. He is your hope.